Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. The question should never be, why do good things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? How bad are we? Genesis 6, 5, before the flood, as God decides to destroy the earth, it says this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, watch this next clause, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continual. I can see the promised land Though there's pain within the plan There is victory in the end Your love is my battle cry The anthem for all my life Every dragon will fall The mountains will move Every chain of the past You've broken into All the fear of the lies We're singing the truth That nothing is impossible Hello and welcome to today's Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so glad and encouraged that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's program, Pastor Keith continues his sermon series entitled, The Blueprint. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to Genesis chapter 1. And now, here's Pastor Keith with today's study. And now, here's what's happening here. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden. God said, everything's yours, just don't touch that. Satan shows up and says, has God really said you can't do these things? Has God really said that? Is this the Word of God? We hear the same things today in different forms and different ways. Has God really said? But the woman said, God said, you shall not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Here we have the first lie. Because God didn't say you couldn't touch it, he just said you couldn't eat of it. But the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That's half true, but that's the way it always is, right? Bad teaching always has an element of truth. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Years and years ago, the great theologian Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. But the devil didn't make them do anything. You know what? Satan can't make you sin. This is his whole thing. We choose sin. We choose sin. They chose to believe a lie about God. They wanted godhood. They wanted autonomy. That's what people want. We're rugged individualists. They wanted autonomy from God. They believed a lie. Rather than trusting in the word of God, Eve, the first woman, trusts in her experience. It looked good. It looked like it would taste good. It seemed like it was going to be beneficial to eat. And so based on her considerable experience, rather than listening to the Word of God or fully understanding the Word of God, she didn't have much of a Bible to read in those days, but whatever she knew, she got wrong. 
And what did she do? Trusting an experience over the Word of God. As we often today trust in an experience over Scripture, she took of it and set in motion her destruction, and her husband set in motion our destruction because he failed to bring her to God and say, have mercy. You know, instead he just joined with her and did the same thing. And that's why it says in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so, all de- so death spread to all men. Why? Because all sin. We a lot of times like to say, well, if Adam and Eve had gotten it straight, none of this would have happened. You know what? You're not hard done by. You would have done worse than she- they would have, probably. I know I would have. Our corruption came as soon as we trusted in ourself. And that's the thing. We live in a corrupted state, and we live in a corrupted world. How do we know that? Romans 8.21, which gives us great hope, reminds us that this world has been subjected to bondage, slavery, to corruption. Romans 8.21, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain freedom of the glory of the children of God. Sin came into the world through man's exercise of free will. A lot of people are into free will. This is what happens. And then the world was corrupted. The Bible tells us that all of creation groans looking forward to the day of restoration. And this corruption was devastating. It had a global and total effect. And if you wanted two easy verses, I'm going to give you three. Write these down. How bad was this? How bad is our corruption? It's so bad that from birth, essentially, we're inclined to sin. And what we're inclined to do, we do. Now, some people call that total depravity. I don't like that terminology. I call it radical depravity. And why is that? Because we're not as bad as we could be always, but we're not good enough. We're not righteous. Our motivations are all wrong. People do things for attention. They do things for reward. We are self-serving. Our heart is continually bent towards evil. Our motivations are wrong. I mean, Hitler loved his, wife, loved his uh, girlfriend and he loved his mother, but he's not a good guy. Right? And even after the flood, we were still bent away from God. We were still bent, inclined towards sin. How do we know that? Genesis 8.21, Noah makes the sacrifice after getting off of the ark. They've seen the world destroyed because of sin and depravity. And what do we see here? What does God observe about mankind? And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. You see that? I mean, how many of you, raise your hands, no, don't raise your hands, taught your children to lie? Or did that just come naturally? And you ever notice how when your children were cute little reprobates, they would, they would come up and before they did something wrong, they'd give you the wide eye. They'd look around to make sure nobody was looking, right? Because they were dead in their sins and trespasses already. They were spiritually stillborn. We are infected. Sin entered the world through one man and all sinned on top of it. So it's bad enough that we have this inherited trait It's even worse that we choose to do what we know is wrong. If you didn't viscerally, intuitively know right and wrong, you wouldn't look around before you did something. you just do it because you didn't know any better. But kids know better. You ever see that baby when 
They don't get fed. There's crying because I hurt. And then there's arch the back crying when they're really mad at you, right? Okay, that's what's going on here. How bad is it? It's bad. Look at, look at Jeremiah 13, 23. How bad is our bent away from God in our natural fallen condition, in our corrupted state? How bad is it? This, is, this tells you what you need to know. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then, also, you can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. What is the possibility of an Ethiopian changing his skin color? What is the possibility of a leopard changing its spots? What is the possibility of human beings choosing righteousness naturally? We have this rhetorical question. The answer is it's not possible. We are bent away from God. We are corrupted. Every inch of the fabric of our being is tainted by sin. It's not that every one of us is a serial killer or an axe murderer. It's that we are just bad. We do what we do for the wrong motivation. I remember getting in a heap of trouble. That's Southern for a great, a great deal of trouble. Years and years ago, I used the example of a Boy Scout helping a, a quote-unquote little old lady across the street. He's doing it for a marriage badge, not to please God, unless he's saved. We do what we do for personal reward. And the first thing on our mind isn't, apart from Christ, how can I, is what I'm about to say going to please God? Is what I'm going to say going to glorify God? It's no, it's what's in it for me. That is our natural radical depravity. Man is unwilling and unable to follow God, to serve God, to embrace God because his spiritual guidance system is corrupted. His uh, spiritual magnetic compass is off course and he's not going north, he's going south. He thinks he's going north. He's right in his own sight but he's corrupted. And we see not only our inability to do what is right and to save ourselves, but our need for a Savior. Ephesians 6, 1, uh, excuse me, Ephesians 2, 1 says that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. We need a spiritual defibrillator. When I, was, I spent weeks in the hospital this year, and I would hear code blue and all these different things, and Somebody's heart would stop, and they'd put the paddles on them and start them back up again, right? Did, do you think anybody rolled up by a crash cart, reached over, got the paddles, said clear, and saved themselves? It doesn't happen. Man needs a Savior. He can't save himself. He doesn't want to be saved. He doesn't want God naturally. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who seeks for God. It says it over and over again from Psalms to Romans. We need a Savior. The corruption is so bad that God has to intervene in our lives to open our eyes. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to the truth. We don't do it. There's none who's seeking for God. They're all useless. That's what the Bible teaches. We are bent away from God, and there is no way to put us back in the nest. My next-door neighbor had a bird nest in his backyard, and some child got back there and messed with the baby birds, and the baby birds all jumped out of the nest. And then the child looked around. I was watching him, trying to put the birds back in the nest. They won't come back in the nest. Once you are corrupted by sin, once you are bent away from God, and we all are, there's no getting back in the nest on your own power. 
And you and I, no matter how many people we invite to church, no matter how many times we share the gospel with them, if the Holy Spirit isn't working on their heart, our message is falling on deaf ears. And as sad as that is, there's comfort there. Because remember this, one plants, one waters, one harvest. God yields the increase. You may invite somebody to church this year, and they may come next year. You may share the gospel with a neighbor, and he blows you off, or you think he does, and you move away. You move to Sheboygan, Wisconsin. He moves to Ulaanbaatar out of Mongolia. And then it clicks, and he comes to Christ because it's a work of God. So I don't want you to be discouraged at Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving or Easter when you talk to people about God and they shut you down. That's the way they're bent. It's not necessarily your fault unless you're kind of the turn and burn guy, you know, at the table. They sit down to say grace. And God, thank you that we could eat dinner together and take all these rank pagans in front of me who are headed for hell and save them. You know, you might, that might have a, a, a chilling effect on the evangelistic conversation. But understand this, they are predisposed to say no. And I don't want you to become discouraged. Understanding this corrupted state, our corrupted human nature, is critical to understanding ministry. It's critical to developing our outreach. It's critical to our prayer life because we have a clear-cut understanding of what we're dealing with. And failure to understand this is why I believe the American church today and what's left of the church in Europe is so anemic. Because we have all these crazy ideas like education will solve everything. The social gospel, if they're well-fed and well-dressed, they'll be happy, healthy, and whole, and then maybe they'll believe. No, that's not it. Tolerance is no no replacement for God's grace. Education is no replacement for the gospel. Then you have the therapeutic gospel, where if we can just make people uh, well-adjusted and understand what makes them tick, they can be fixed. The only thing that fixes a person is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Even the most successful programs for fixing people, AA, some other ones, they all begin with cleaning up the outside of the cup. They tip their hat to, oh, you know, recognizing a higher power, which we choose to call God. But their success rate is way down here. It's way above others, but way down here. Because it's not just believing in God. Most people believe in God. It's knowing the right God, the one God, the true God. And apart from that divine intervention, people don't get fixed. So let's not confuse the gospel of Jesus Christ with the social gospel of most of the mainline denominations whose churches are closing hand over fist, or the gospel of therapeutic deism which replaces Oprah. Oprah replaces Christ. It's not about feeling good about yourself. It's understanding who you are and that you need a Savior and that you are depraved, that you are broken, that you are out of fellowship with God and you need rescue that you don't even think straight most of the time. And understanding that causes us to look up and worship and surrender and repentance as opposed to looking at the man or woman in the mirror and saying, you're special. The The only specialness you or I have is because we bear the image of God. Why won't they listen? Because they can't listen. 
they're broken. Their thinker and feeler, their spiritual GPS is broken. And your job and my job is to present the information and let God do what God does. He's going to save some of them. The Holy Spirit's going to open their eyes. They're going to see their need. And vis-a-vis divine intervention, they're going to be saved. Salvation is an act of God. And people changed not from the outside in, but from the inside out. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passing away. All things are becoming new. God changes us from the inside out. It's not how many bowls of rice, how many, what kind of vocational training they get, or what kind of house they live in. It's what kind of God they trust in. And there's only one. In fact, when you look in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, it talks about that while we were still helpless, Christ died for us. That God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And it goes on to, you see that, that we're passive and God is active because we are corrupt to the core. And I'm not trying to discourage you or beat you down or destroy your self-esteem. What I'm trying to point out is the need to understand who and what we're dealing with as we invite people to church, as we sit at the table with friends and family who don't know the Lord, that we're not discouraged, that we're encouraged, that it doesn't depend on us. If I had to say it in a sentence, abide in Christ, keep his word, and let God do the heavy lifting. Because man is broken, and there's only one divine mechanic. There's only... There's only one divine ER doctor who's going to start that heart beating for him. And nobody can fix themselves. Jeremiah says it, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? A leopard can't change his spots, an Ethiopian his skin color, and we can't change ourselves. So, our original state and harmony and fellowship with God, that's the good news. The bad news is... We chose sin over God, self-worship over God-worship, and we and the world around us have suffered the consequences. There's no such thing as a victimless crime. Sin is like a grenade. It blows up and it sends out shrapnel everywhere. The even better news is the, is, uh, the third aspect, which we'll touch on briefly, and that is this, humanity's future state. As you begin to explain the gospel to people, tell them who we were, who we are, and where we're headed. And those who trust in Christ are headed to an eternity with Christ. They are being saved. They are saved. They will be saved. There will be a future redemption for them. And where do you see that? Briefly in Ephesians 2, 1 through 6, which I'm just going to jump through here real quick. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. By nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together in Christ, with Christ, and seated us in the heavenly places. The future is bright. What stands ahead does not need to be destruction. It can be restoration. It can be healing, hope, and forgiveness. God offers forgiveness to every man, woman, and child, no matter who they were, where they came from, how much money they have, how little education they have, how much education they have. It's a gift. He offers a forgiveness, but he only grants that forgiveness to those who will receive it. And to those who would receive it, 
to them he, became, he gave the ability to become children of God. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is this, is have we received that gift? Because if you haven't, you're still, your brain still isn't working right, your heart still isn't working right, and you're governed not by God, but by your impulses, by your desires. Only through God's saving work in Jesus Christ can we be rescued, reconciled, and renewed. And if we will surrender, he will forgive. So what does this mean for you? How, how do you put all this to work today? It affects the way we do ministry because, one, humanity is not spiritually crippled, it's spiritually dead. Two, humanity has been away from God towards self-worship, not God-worship. Understand what you're dealing with. You see it in addicts all the time. You know, they know that they're killing themselves but, and they're killing their families, but you know what? They do it anyway. That's, we're addicted to sin apart from the, the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Three, left to his own devices, man will reject the gospel and was, is without hope. Four, more training, education, and information does not save. Man knows the facts, but he suppresses the, the truth and unrighteousness. And five, it's not about our inventing new ways to reach the lost. It's about divine intervention and enablement. It's about the grace of God. That's why we abide in Christ, we keep his word, and we trust him to do the heavy lifting. We trust him to do the God thing. We are faithful servants, instruments in the Redeemer's hands, but the results are his. He just calls upon us to be obedient and to be faithful, and he does the hard stuff. And so when you sit with that loved one, with that son or daughter, with that friend or neighbor, with that employer or employee, and you bring them the word of life and they yawn, do not be discouraged. God's word does not return void. It goes out for two reasons, for salvation or for condemnation. And so everybody is without excuse. And that that word that you bring will either bring them to faith in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit working in their hearts or confirm that they're going to get what they deserve at the end of the age. But also understand this. You may not be the one who leads them to Christ. You may plant, you may water, or you may harvest. And understand that salvation sometimes is just not a lightning bolt from heaven. It's a process where God works in a person's life to bring him to the end of himself, to bring her to the end of herself. So that when the Holy Spirit opens their eyes... They embrace Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that while we were originally yours in harmony with you, Lord, and while we corrupted ourselves, Lord, that we have a hope. And that hope is a certainty that if we have embraced Christ, we will spend an eternity with you. Our future is bright. Our eternity is certain. Our salvation is sure. But Lord, we also pray for the days and the weeks and the months to come and the years to come, Lord, that you would just help us to understand the human condition so that we can put feet to our faith, so that we can minister wisely, so that we will not be discouraged by situations or circumstances, but encouraged by the fact that you are God and that salvation is from the Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live.
We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us today studying God's Word. And if you'd like more information on Pastor Keith or Hillside Church, here's how you can connect with us. Our mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can connect with us on our website, which is gracetoliveradio.org. There you can check out archived messages of past sermons and also listen to Pastor Keith's weekly blog. And please remember that the Grace to Live radio program is a listener-supported ministry outreach of Hillside Church if you'd like to partner with us financially. Again, all of these things are available to you on our website, gracetoliveradio.org. Also, I'd like to remind you that Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside always look forward to hearing from you. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith at hillside.org and also at jono at hillside.org. That's J-O-N-O at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you. And thanks for listening. Amen.